Ho, ho, ho. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Great to see you. Let me say a quick prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable to you on this day, Christmas Day, when you came to be with us, now and forever. Amen. So, Merry Christmas. Uh, One ancient uh, Christian preacher, 4th or 5th century, said this in the opening line of his Christmas sermon, Wake up, human beings, for it was for you that God was made man. So rise up and realize that it was for you. I take those words myself and give them to you today. It is a tremendous honor and privilege to welcome you here to be celebrating Christmas this morning together. It's not every year that Christmas actually falls on a Sunday, of course. And especially if you're a visitor with us today or joining us online, just want you to know how glad we are that you're with us. For the next few minutes, I want to think about the original, the most important, the truest reason for the season the birth of Jesus the Messiah, the unique Son of God, the one called Emmanuel, God with us. That's what that word means, God with us. Now, it may seem obvious to many of us here that that is the, you know, the reason for the season, uh, and certainly historically that's the way our culture has kept an honored Christmas, but this true reason for the season is not something we can always take for granted. I was reminded of this the other week while reading a newspaper, not our local observer, mind you, but another newspaper. And in this newspaper, there was an advert about Christmas, what Christmas is all about. Christmas, it said, is about aunties with trifles. There's the advert, actually. I took a picture of it on my phone. And unruly nephews. It's about neighbors popping over for drinks and staying till 3 in the morning. It's about families crowded into houses and beds, setting a fancy table for the feast. It's about sporting seasonal cardigans and sweaters like I'm doing for you this morning. It's about gobbling up stuffing balls and downing deluxe cocktails. And of course, it's about shopping, especially at the store who paid for that advert. But there was no mention of God. There's no mention of Jesus and all those words of God's nearness, no mention of peace and glad tidings to the world from the one who created it. None of that was there. In fact, in some places these days, you're no longer supposed to mention the name Christ at this time of the year. At Brighton University over in England, the administration just asked staff to refer to the Christmas holidays as the winter closure period. Mm. Uh, And uh, that's interesting because that's in a country that produced Charles Dickens, who's like the godfather of Christmas. Uh, Even if well-intended, that sort of advice is uh, that clinical sterility. I think it's sad. It's downright depressing. Because without Jesus, Christmas is just another party, another big night, the red and white version of St. Patrick's Day, another excuse to wash away our fears and our anxieties with strong drink rather than strong hope. Christmas should be more for us because it is more. In fact, it is so much more, at least according to St. Luke. He's the guy that brings us what is perhaps the most famous of all the Christmas texts in the New Testament, the one I just read for you. And for the next couple minutes, I want to ponder this wondrous account of Jesus' arrival. And I just want to highlight two aspects of this story uh, this morning, two themes that I hope will help us experience Christmas for all that it truly is. First, I want to talk for a moment about the fact of Christmas, and then I want to talk for a moment about the fellowship of Christmas. The fact of Christmas and the fellowship of Christmas. We'll start with the fact. Many people, when they read Luke chapter 2, they think to themselves, what a lovely legend. What a warm and touching tale that symbolizes important themes like peace and hope. Yet here's the thing, when Luke wrote this account, he was not intending to craft a warm and touching legend, a mythic story filled with moving symbolism. If you go back to Luke chapter 1 verse 1, you don't read, once upon a time, 
You don't read a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. That's not what you read. Luke starts with this. He says, my purpose in writing this gospel is to give you an account of things that happened. And then he continues in that same vein right there at the beginning of chapter 2, which I just read for you. He says, hey, do you remember that year when Caesar Augustus ordered the empire-wide census? What I am about to tell you about happened in that year. It happened in that year. In other words, what I'm telling you, what I'm writing actually occurred. It's a historical event. It's a fact. And the most important thing to know about this event, to know about that baby born in the manger, God becoming a human being, is that it really happened. Yes, it did. It's a fact. Luke is emphatic about this. Now, why is Luke so emphatic? Why would he press us so much on this? Why won't he just leave us alone with our hallmark sentimentalism understanding of Christmas? You know, Christmas has a moving myth, an inspiring story. Why is it so important that Christmas is a fact and not just a legend? Because if it's just a story, if it's just a legend, then we have little hope in the face of the darkness that abounds in this world. And here's the thing. We don't always like to admit that darkness, but it's there, a lot of it. It does not mean that there's not light and goodness in the world. It doesn't mean that things have not and are not getting better in certain ways. They are. All you have to do is go to a website. I like to visit this website when I'm feeling kind of down. It's called Our World in Data. And you can see how much things are improving and have improved over the last 50 years. Lower rates of infant mortality, higher rates of cancer survival, raised standards of living globally. In a number of senses, things are getting better. I mean, just think of all the breakthroughs in science and technology. I wouldn't want to go back and even live 10 years ago, would you? There have been so many breakthroughs. I'm thankful for the new medicines that have been invented, the pioneering immunotherapies and surgeries, not to mention the air fryer. I mean, that's going to extend the lifespan of a lot of people, the air fryer. There has been and there is a positive revolution, extraordinary breakthroughs and advancements. But even so, we still find ourselves afraid and fearful. We are apprehensive, we're anxious, we're angsty. How come? Because we know that there are hackers out there who might take down the grid, and then all the power's gone, and gazillions of dollars disappear in a minute. We know there's the possibility of a nuclear winter, recently revitalized by Mr. Putin's actions. These days, it's more impossible than ever to know who can detonate a nuclear weapon and where. Or there's the risk of economically crippling trade wars that could be occasioned by a fraught relationship with China. Why are we afraid? Because there is darkness in this world. There's darkness in every human, in all of us. We all know this, even if we're loath to admit it. And all the positive technological breakthroughs, all the science, they don't eradicate the darkness, they just reshape it. It always comes back. One old sage, a guy called Gandalf in The Lord of the Rings, puts it like this. Always after a defeat and a respite, the shadow takes another shape and it grows again. And isn't that how it is? Because the shadow, the darkness, it originates in humankind. It comes from our hearts. That's what Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15. And better science and technology does not change the human heart. Which is precisely why St. Luke is emphatic that what he's writing is not just a legend. It's not just something for a Hallmark card, for a warm and fuzzy moment. It's not just to inspire us to do better. It comes to this. Every time we, on our own, try to do something about the darkness in the world, every time... It just ends up taking another shape and growing back again because its origin is in us. We're the problem, and we need somebody to save us, which is why we do not need legends of the glory of God appearing. We need the glory of God appearing. Luke tells us that it did. 
That's a fact. Christmas is a fact. Let's move on now. I want to focus in second on a particular theme or element of this fact, the fellowship of Christmas. That's how I put it, the fellowship of Christmas. Look there at verse 10. The angel appeared to those shepherds. They were terrified. The angel says, do not be afraid. Today's a great day because today somebody very special has arrived. His name is Messiah. God himself has come to be with you. He's come to you and me. Emmanuel, God with us, and that is key because that's what the arrival of Jesus is all about. It's about fellowship and reunion, friendship, relationship, reconciliation and unity between the creator and the creature. And that's why Christmas season, Christmas tide, which is what we're in now, it's all about being with, being with family and friends, gathering together, festivity, connecting, sending out what used to be Christmas cards but are now Facebook or Instagram posts of all those amazing holiday experiences you've been having, which will make other people as lonely as you feel when you look at their amazing holiday experiences on Facebook and Instagram. Yet despite the fact that Christmas is a season for being with, for a lot of people it can be a really lonely time, perhaps even the loneliest time of the year. Maybe it is for you or maybe it is for people that you know and love. Sometimes we think that our loneliness is something that another person could take away from us. And so if we're still lonely at Christmas, it just means we've not found the right person to be with yet. But as a theologian called Elvis Presley liked to put it, I'll have a blue Christmas without you. (laughs) And here's the thing. There is a kind of loneliness that is so deep that no mere human being can ever take that loneliness away. This is something that philosophers and scientists have opined about over the years. They've argued that profound loneliness is an inevitable part of the human condition and experience. The French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre once wrote that we're lonely because we're meaning-seeking creatures and we live in a meaningless world. Now that adds some bleakness to the midwinter, doesn't it? Or listen to something an Oxford scientist called Richard Dawkins said a few years back. He said, the reason we're so lonely is that the universe offers no design, no purpose, no hope, just blind, pitiless indifference. That's a quote. Ouch, don't want to go on a vacation with that guy. In striking contrast, the story of Christmas is a claim that things are not this way. It's a claim that we were made by a God who hates loneliness. It is not good for man to be alone. That's how it's put in Genesis. God does not want anyone to sit at the table by themselves in the cafeteria. That is a central recurring theme of the Bible, God's desire to be with his people. In the Old Testament, God is always expressing this desire. He says, I will be with you. That phrase appears over 115 times in the Old Testament. I will be with you to hear your prayers. I'll be with you to receive your worship. I'll be with you to give you guidance. I'll be with you to speak to you through the scriptures. But here's the really interesting thing. It's as if all of that was Not enough to satisfy God. So he finally says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go down there and I'm going to be with those people myself. That's Jesus. That's the fellowship of Christmas. As Eugene Peterson puts it in the message translation of the Bible, chapter St. John, chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. It's when the biggest miracle of all is also the smallest. God causes all of his person, all of his presence, all of his majesty, and all of his power to be compacted into one tiny, frail, delicate human body. He arrives on earth incarnate, in skin. He puts on the face of Jesus of Nazareth to be with his people. He starts as a fragile baby. He starts in the arms of a peasant woman, a lady called Mary. 
Once in our world, in a ramshackle, tiny stable, there was something that was bigger than the whole world itself. That's how C.S. Lewis summed it up. And because Jesus is Emmanuel, because he's God with us in a personal and profound way, that word with really becomes Jesus' calling card. He was always with people. He's with his disciples in intimate, close, transformative relationship. He's with sinners, prostitutes, and tax collectors and outsiders. He's with us. His last words, words addressed to you and me in Matthew's gospel are, Behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. Now, you might be wondering at this moment, how can Jesus be with me if he's not bodily present anymore? How's that work? That's a fair question. Let me say something here. Being with someone is about much more than physical proximity. Consider, some people can have their bodies at the dinner table with you, but their presence, their attention, their mind, their soul are a million miles away. We call those people husbands. What Jesus is saying is that he promises to be with us always because of his resurrection he can, because he's no longer restricted by a body the way that we are. And so he can be present to anybody, anywhere. He can be present with you, and he wants to be present with you. That's the fellowship of Christmas. He can be with you in your thoughts. He can be with you when you drive to work. He can be with you in your family like you are right now, even and especially in the messy moments, which some of you are going to have this afternoon and this evening or tomorrow. He can be with you in your frustrations. He was with me yesterday morning when Hugo put magic markers all over Cindy's new couch. And because Jesus was with me, Hugo didn't end up spending all day in the reflect and repent corner, which is where I thought he needed to spend it. Jesus can be with you in your pain. He can be with you in your loneliness. Speaking of loneliness, I think that that experience, which we all know in some way, shape, or form, I think it actually points to the fact that Jesus, that God wants to be with us, that he wants fellowship. I think the loneliness is a clue to that desire by God. Just like the fact that we hunger is a clue that we were made to eat, the fact that we thirst indicates that we were made to drink. I think our loneliness, our yearning for relationship, points to the fact that we were made for God, to be in relationship with God. Which means, of course, that we can finally answer the question in that famous old Beatles song, all the lonely people, where do they come from? The answer is, they are people who live apart from God and apart from His love. And that's really, really important to note because we live right now in an epidemic of loneliness. The rates are off the charts. The researchers continue to be shocked by it. And it's, it's somewhat perplexing because of the fact that we are more connected than ever before on social media. Three out of every four Americans report that they're suffering right now from loneliness. And by the way, that loneliness and the attendant depression, they tend to spike right now at this time of the year. Over the last 30 years, the number of Americans' close friends in whom they can confide has dropped by 50%. And this epidemic isn't limited to America. Across the Atlantic over in the UK, they've actually created a senior government minister post to deal with the problem. They've got a minister for loneliness. The New Testament describes it like this. There are people in this world without hope people who don't know that God has come to be with them, but you don't have to go through life this way. Which is why a great thing to do this Christmas is simply to say, be with me, Jesus. Maybe you want to say that this morning. Maybe you want to invite a friend or family member to say that this afternoon. Maybe you can pray it with them. Maybe they can pray it with and over you. Even if you've been in church for a long time, you can still pray that. I'm going to pray this afternoon. And if you do this, you might just encounter something 
or someone, to be more precise, who is capable of scratching that deep itch, that profound longing that we all have for connection and real relationship. As Christians, we believe that this person, he goes by the name of Jesus, is at work right here in and among us. He's in personal fellowship with each of us, but he's also uniting us to one another in goodwill and in love, which is precisely why December 25th gives us a song to sing. It's the hymn of the angels. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. That's you. So God's peace on you today, each and every one of you. Merry Christmas.